Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Dave. Uh, welcome to this meeting. Our topic is recovery and relations with coworkers. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not ours, be done. Can I remind everyone that this is a taped meeting in the spirit of the 12th step, the tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our speaker. It's uh, Bob M. from Cranford, New Jersey. He will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic topic hasn't changed. It's recovery and relations with coworkers. Here's Brother Bob. Good afternoon. My name is Bob. I'm a recovering sexaholic. And to start, I'm going to read my recovery note, uh, what my life was like before SA. I wasn't aware of how isolated I'd become in my daily thoughts and life in general prior to coming to SA. On the outside, I looked like a normal husband, father, and employee. Inside me, I had ongoing thoughts of resentment, fear, and of being different and less than others. My career was marked by with frequent job changes, severe under-earning, and a lack of support from others. Because of my isolating obsession with myself, my career, my disappointments, I rarely shared what I was really thinking on the inside. Due to my withdrawn way of relating to others, I frequently came up with plans on how to, quote, fix my career that I simply carried out without showing them to others for their input, or to their feasibility or timing. More than once, they ended up in further career setbacks, earning even less, and more frustration for being so far behind my peers. My obsessive use of pornography helped ease my pain temporarily, but also strengthened my desire to live in fantasy rather than reality. Rather than taking actions to improve my career in reality, I opted to fantasize about a dream career that included wealth, prestige, and contentment. What happened when I came into SA? At my very first meeting, an SA member encouraged me to, quote, jump into the program with both feet, and I did. I bought the white book and read it from cover to cover. I identified with the progression of addiction and the way it started small and grew in my life. I attended three meetings a week and listened to the other members as they shared. Inwardly, I was able to identify with their experiences. Over time, I became willing to share my sexual experiences, and then it progressed to sharing my feelings about myself and my life. I've had three sponsors, and making phone calls to them and other SA members has given me an outlet for my emotions that I did not have before joining SA. 
I've written out my first step inventory, my fourth step inventory, seeing my issues, quote, in black and white, and then saying them out loud to another human being has helped to relieve the isolation and the self-centered obsession with myself. What my what what my wife what my life is like now. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, they say a Freudian slip is when you say a thing and you mean your mother. I mean another. <laughs> what my life is like now. Now I'm much better at talking about what's going on inside of myself with my wife. She knows I'm in recovery and has encouraged me to continue to come out of my shell about myself. I now know that sex is indeed optional, and that has taken the impression of her to, quote, ease my anxiety when I get stressed. We've begun to have more intimate conversations, and I'm becoming increasingly willing to give her non-sexual touching without feeling that it must always lead to sexual touching. I'm talking to others about my personal life and willing to take advice and direction. A big change has been my willingness to wait for issues to work themselves out rather than feeling that enough is enough, ending my position and looking for a promotion or a new job. I've become more grateful and patient as my recovery continues. I've also begun attending 12-step recovery meetings to help with my under-earning and codependency. Um, just some specific things on relations at work. Um, at work, I have female coworkers, and initially, especially, objectification was a big problem. I would look at them and the thoughts and images that I had when I was acting out and from my past sexual experience, I would tend to start to objectify them and treat them uh, inwardly, not outwardly. I was always able to kind of keep a difference between that, but I would think about them in ways that weren't healthy. Um, also, I tend to have an, uh, an attitude of trying to care for and, and be a rescuer. So oftentimes, if they're not treated well by the other people in the office, I try to step in and be nice and kind and... Um, that's been a part of a dual part of my, my life. I always had the secret life sexually, and then there was the outward way, gee, what a nice guy, Bob always listens, and things like that. And I really enjoy that kind of ego gratification. Um, now with my male coworkers, we have a, a, a pretty wild uh, environment. It's in the financial services industry, and they have emails that they get with pornographic images. I'll go in there sitting to my, with my boss. He'll turn the monitor and say, Bob, look at that, huh? What do you think of that? And, I, and I've, I've told them, I think I actually told them I was in recovery, but I said, yeah, I, I don't look at those things anymore. Um, but I also felt that I needed to be honest, too. I said, look, I have looked at those things in the past, but it got so far out of hand that now I just don't look at them any, uh, anymore. Um, but they don't, they don't understand. They don't, maybe they don't have the addiction. Maybe they're just, you know, like in the big book, hard drinkers. They can do that and they can put it away and go on. But that was not the case with me. Um, I had a situation recently where we were at a holiday lunch. And afterwards, they just, it was just the, some of the, the man, well, it was just some of the managers that were all men. They said, oh, let's go to a go-go bar afterwards. You know, come on, you gotta go, Bob, you gotta go. Uh, I said, no, I don't wanna go. Unfortunately, there was another guy there from the office who didn't wanna go either. And they were trying to say, like, you gotta go. And fortunately, some other people from the office came by and were able to give us a ride back to the office. So I think my higher power stepped in there to help me to get out of that. Uh, because go-go bars was a part of my past as well, in addition to internet. Um, and one of the other changes, too, now in my relation with my coworkers has been to see my bosses more as equals. I used to have a real problem with authority that, like, they're the bosses with a capital B. And if they say it, I have to do it. And my needs come nowhere. You know, you need to stay late. You're going to do this. Okay, plus we need you to do this, this, and this, and this. We're going home. And I would stay and work and work and work to try to get things done uh, without speaking up, without having a voice for myself. And I'm starting to see the more as equals now where I can speak up, I can negotiate on my own behalf, and I realize I'm not as much looking for somebody else to rescue me that I got to, you know, if somebody else isn't going to be there for me, I can at least be there for myself and speak up and state my needs and my issues. And I recently had a salary 
uh, discussion maybe a week or so ago with the CEO of the company. I told him how much I was making. I said, you know, um, I really like working here. And I had my pay stub with me, too, because I always feel like I have to have supporting documentation. Like, my words aren't enough. I've got to have it in black and white. I said, here's my, my pay stub from last year, you know. Um, I made $49,000. That's $797 a week. You know, I've got a wife and five kids. And he said, I had no idea you're making that little, which, again, is part of the whole way that the company works. Like, he doesn't know the details. He's a big-picture guy, you know, things happen. Now, whether he does or doesn't, I think he really doesn't, but... Um, what the hell? He's the boss. I mean, he's, he's in charge of payroll. If he doesn't know how much I'm making, what's, what's he, you know, that's what I'm thinking. So anyway, he said, um, well, you know, we're going to also help you, um, make more sales. Cause another component is I can earn money in addition to my marketing job. He said, I'll help you with that. Um, and it was good because I said, you know, my goal this year is to make $120,000. He said, okay, no problem. I can help you with that. But again, it's me being willing, taking the risk of speaking up and voicing what I really want because so, so much of my life has been waiting for people to read my mind um, and then hurting myself financially. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do this and that. You know, you're going to really, like, have to help me, you know, because look what I'm doing for you. I'm going to manipulate. It's a control strategy. I do the same thing at home. Oh, I'm going to help you clean the house, sweeter, but I don't have the bills paid. I don't have this, you know, but I'm the martyr, you know. Look at me helping you out. You know, now you have to help me. And if you don't help me, then I'm not going to do the pay the bills. Like, that's, that's the way I think, though, a lot of times. But from being in the program, things are starting to get better, and part of it is just bringing it out to the light, sharing my experiences, hearing other people share, uh, and even just in some of the one-on-ones after the other meetings, connecting with people and saying, wow, they've got the same issue, and it's just helping to break that isolation. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> I would like to thank our speaker for his share. We will now open the floor for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during the meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by me. No cross-talking, please. Please keep your sharing to about three minutes, allowing everyone to share his or her experience. Uh, this is a taped meeting. Uh, when you get up here, stay pretty close to this microphone. It's for the tape. It's not to broadcast and speak clearly. Uh, and if you could, we have an on deck, uh, two people on deck. If you could always have two people on deck, and then I'll just you know do this when no more time for two people to be on deck. And when you're up here, if you're going pretty far over that three minutes, I'll just pat the table quietly, and it'll get louder as you get on and on. So. <laughs> Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss our other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is recovery, the solution using the steps in our daily lives. People can start getting on deck if they want. And please remember that this meeting is being taped. The floor is now open for sharing. And I do encourage people to share because there's going to be people looking for experience, strength, and hope at home that can't get to these meetings. So thanks. Thank you. My name is Carl M., and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Carl. Uh, I got here late this morning. Uh, I registered for the whole weekend, but uh, 
my, my mother doesn't feel well, my mother-in-law doesn't feel well, and I wasn't sure if I should come or not, but I said, I'll, I'll drive this morning and, and see what's going on. And I really experienced my higher power bringing me to people I haven't seen and hearing things that I need to hear. And uh, I've known Bob M. for years, and uh, when he told me about what was going on in his life and his codependency issues and as it related to his work, it really, uh, really like struck a tone for me that I, I really struggle with that. And, uh, for me, for many, many years, I've struggled with, uh, you know, not feeling good enough, uh, always wanting to please my boss, please other people, always wanted to be seen as someone who really contributes. You know, boy, we couldn't do it without Carl. We are so glad Carl works here. We're so glad he's at this meeting. We're so glad he sent this email. Without that last piece of the puzzle, we wouldn't be able to put it all together. <laughs> and, and I mean, I really like believe that in my heart, and it really creates a lot of tension, a lot of stress. And it was definitely one of the main triggers uh, for my acting out, because of course I never pleased everybody. Of course there were people who would, uh, you know, not, not you know, uh, welcome my, my input and so on. And it, it always created, oh, you know, well, let's screw that. I'll just go and act. I'll show them I'll go and act out. And, um, frankly, I had a major problem with acting out at work. Uh, uh, I used to do it for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I used to swear it off. And I'd start at five o'clock and, you know, finish at eleven o'clock at night acting out in computers. Uh, I literally got fired from two jobs, fired for specifically looking at pornography at work, two jobs in a row. And, uh, you know, I'm just realizing now that the connection between being a people pleaser and wanting people to recognize me and, and, and this as a trigger, you know, for, for, for my acting out. And lately, uh, I've been doing pretty well with my physical sobriety, but I have a, I still have a lot of fear. Uh, I work for an organization that just uh, turned over the CEO. I report to the CEO, and I had gotten along pretty well with the one who just retired. And the one came in, and uh, you know, it's a young young woman, and I, I feel intimidated by her, and I feel like oh, God, I have to really show her what I can do. And if I get an email from her, I got to answer it right away, include all the documentation, you know, and really, really make it worthwhile. Where she's thinking, boy, I couldn't, couldn't really do this without Carl. And 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 I and I think, you know, what what my higher power's been telling me is that that that's that's a lot of bunk, you know, that I'm worth it just for who I am because because I'm a child of my higher power. And that I need to really trust. That's the big thing I need to do is really trust in my higher power. You know, my life is in uh, his hands. And that, uh, you know, that this thing about people pleasing, especially, you know, my, my boss is, is not real. Now, I know that. But now to let it really sink into my heart is really what, what I need to do. I need to really surrender. I need to pray. Bob's going to give me some literature. Uh, but... Uh, this was just a very, very timely topic. I be honest with you, I didn't put two and two together how much of a trigger it was to, to my acting out until about a half an hour ago when Bob mentioned what this topic was and what this group was going to be about. So I'm really very grateful to, to be at the conference and, and that, 
you know, God showed me this. This was a good, uh, good topic for me to hear. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank Hi, I'm Chip, and I'm a sexaholic. I've never, ever been shy about sharing at meetings, but you stick a microphone in front of my face, changes the whole dynamic. Um, this uh, this is a really, really good topic for me. Um, work, you know, I, I spend more time at work than I do at home, at least conscious. Um, and it really is, uh, it's a microcosm of, like, my, my disease. I mean, everything that's there, and nobody I'm with there is in recovery that I know of. Um, the from a, a, a lust perspective, for me, one of the best ways for me to dispel lust for for a person is to get to know them, because then they're a real person and they have flaws, and I have no interest in them whatsoever, um, lust-wise anyway. The um, but it, resentment is just huge, because um, the environment that I work in is you know if somebody doesn't like what's going on with what the company is doing. Everybody stands around and talks about it. And I love doing that. That's like, that's like diving in the deep end of the resentment pool. And I just love it. And it is so destructive. And I don't even realize I'm there. And I'm there. And uh, a situation happened a couple of weeks ago that was my favorite kind of resentment, very justifiable. And um, a lot of people felt it. And it's all anybody's talked about for the last two weeks. And it, it just sucked me right in. And to get to get out of it has taken a lot of a lot of sharing, a lot of praying, um, a lot of getting it out at meetings, and then I go to work the next day, and it's like it's still the same environment. So the only thing that can change in it really is is me and how I react to it. Um, but one of the thi- one of the things that I, I've I've tried to do at work because I I tend to isolate even at work. Um, in the um, one of the AA, uh, I think it's just for today. It says uh, I'm going to do things for people without being caught. If I'm caught, it doesn't count. So I try to do things at work for people so they won't know. Like like if there's a sink with dishes in it, I'll do the dishes. I hope nobody walks in because then I have to do something else. <laughs> but um, you know things like that, and just just to get out of that isolation to do something for somebody else. They may not know what's going on, but I know what's going on. And spiritually, it helps me. Um, one other thing, this, this job that I have now is the first job that I've had, that I, I think ever, that I've not acted out at work. Um, and that's, I mean, th- that's saying something. I mean, I, I feel good about that. Um, I've been there about six years. But one of the first things, and, and it was just something where God, God showing me has a sense of humor. Um, one of the, the, the software tools that we use at the company is called some, something called Sales Advantage. And like every other company, everything's called by its initials. And so I was there, so maybe like my second day, and somebody says something about, hey, does anybody know SA? I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> so I just thought that was, God saying maybe I was where I was supposed to be. <laughs> I'll pass. Thanks. My name's Ryan. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Ryan. Ryan. Uh, this whole talking into a mic thing scares the crap out of me, too. Uh, I, uh, I work in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. Uh, I work at a television station there. I've been working there for about 11 years. And 
You know, I, I basically lie and manipulate people for a living, uh, which doesn't sound great to say, but that's what I do. Uh, I make commercials for the programs uh, that they air, and I basically try to manipulate you into watching those programs so that you'll see the commercials and those companies can manipulate, manipulate you to buy those products. So it's a nice, nice little circle. So it's far from being altruistic in any sense. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have this interesting pattern of where, you know, I think the one place, you know, I've, I've got a great program, great recovery, but the one place that it's really lacking is my work environment. Um, I'm a perfectionist, and uh, um, and that's a huge character defect of mine. And for some reason, I often tell myself, you know, oh, I can't possibly take this call. Um, I can't possibly make a call. I can't go to a meeting at lunch. I'm too busy. Can't afford that. Um, and and I often get really consumed with work. And uh, I've talked to my sponsor about this, and he said, well, you're you're a workaholic. He says, no, I'm not a workaholic. I only work probably you know. 45, 50 hours a week. He says, but he says, that's not what it's about. You're always thinking about work. So you're a workaholic. He says, that's right. Ding, ding. Um, so um, I've been really thinking about this lately. And, uh, um, you know, I, I work in an industry where, I, I, you know, I've heard, heard the phrase in program, the only way to make an A in program is to make a B. Uh, that that uh, I, I am really good at what I do. I get paid very well for what I do, but maybe I don't need to, and it sounds really crazy to say, maybe I don't need to work nearly as hard as I am. Um, maybe I do need to be making those phone calls during the day. Uh, I do need to be going to those meetings at lunch. Um, because, uh, as, as my sponsors told me, uh, if I put something above my recovery, I'm liable to lose it. And, uh, and I've definitely have put work above my recovery in many aspects. Um, so it's Something I really need to keep in mind. Um, and, uh, you know, lastly, um, you know, because I work in the industry that I work in, I'm surrounded by dysfunctional people. People that are addicts, you know, are all around me. And uh, it's an incredible place to do service. Um, I've, I've broken my anonymity with a number of people that I work with because I, I, I can tell, you know, I've a number of sex addicts. And uh, it's a... Uh, it's been really great to, to realize, you know, for, for the longest time I thought, oh, I, I need to change careers because I can't possibly give back. I can't do service in this career because it's just it's too just too dysfunctional. And it's like I realized, no, this is the place I need to be because I can give back. I've got all these people around me that, that need help. And it's like I can share my story. I can share my experience, strength, and hope. So I'm grateful that uh, I don't necessarily um, have to have that perfect job where I'm giving back to give back. So... Uh, Anyway, with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. My name is Greg. I am a sexaholic. Um, Thank you to Bob, our speaker and group chairperson. Uh, I'm happy that I chose this meeting to talk about because I have a million issues at work. And I'm happy I'm at this conference because I'm learning so much. And one of the things that I've been hearing a lot of, it's a term I've heard before, but I've never given it much mind until today. I'm I'm thinking about it a little bit, this idea of being a people pleaser. Uh, You know, I guess if somebody said people pleaser to me before, I'd be like, what's wrong with that? You know, you're being nice to people. And now I'm thinking maybe 
not definitely, but maybe I have this problem as well. I have a new job. I started in September. It's a, a new school that I'm working at. Um, I have been a teacher for seven years, but in a very difficult district. Now I'm in a completely 180-degree type of school I'd like to send my own children to. It's, it, and I'm, I'm just really so happy to be there. But maybe I'm people-pleasing. Um, I'm a, my, I, I teach digital arts. So we're involved in, I'm involved in uh, computer artwork, graphics, photo retouching. That, that's enough detail, you know, stuff like that. And I could be spending more time with the students. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time with the students. I'm putting, giving a lot of thought into them and their lessons, but I'm also doing a lot for the teachers. And, for example, my next door, I've been making teachers' posters and stuff, digital arts-related posters, um, almost like I'm trying to flatter them or, or gain their approval a little bit. I've been, the vice principal had a, had a baby. He sent a picture to everybody through the email. So I sent it into Photoshop and retouched it, added special effects, and sent it back to him and said, what do you think? And I really wanted him to say he loved it. You know, I, I, this, is, it's, this is a tough call. Am I doing something worthwhile? Or am I people-pleasing for the wrong reasons? Maybe it's both. I don't know. There's, there's no easy areas. And I think I might be becoming a workaholic, too. I mean, I, I'm thinking about work all the time. I think about work when I drive home. I think about hope, hope, work when I'm home. I, I'm, I like to go to work now. I, 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 don't think I'd ever, I don't think I'd ever say that. And I don't even know if I'm complaining about that right now. There's really no easy answers. You know, I don't know if these are good, this is a good thing or a bad thing. More likely than not, it's just something that I need to moderate a little bit. Uh, is I, I'm in a fortunate position that I get to work with children. I don't want to blow it. They should be my top priority. I certainly don't want to do anything in this addiction that could that, that, that will ruin my job. I'm sure they already think I'm a little offbeat type of a person, uh, but uh, th- that's not the worst thing. That, that, you know, as long as it just stays at that. Just that, you know, there's the digital arts teacher. He's a little eccentric, but he's all right. If that's what they think about me, then I can live with that. And I guess I don't have. I can't worry too much about what they think about me because that's the one thing that. As you know, as the summer was coming and the, the school year was getting closer, that's what I was saying. What are they going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm good enough? You know, are they going to think I, I, I'm up to snuff to work in their school? Am I trying to prove my worth to them? I don't know. A lot of confusing thoughts that are going through my mind, and I'm happy to be listening to everybody discuss about their careers as they re- as, and as their career relates to their addiction, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm in the right room. I came in here for the wrong reason. I thought this was where I complain about my coworkers. Um, <laughs> And I was complaining to my coworker, to my sponsor last weekend. And uh, I have a coworker of the opposite gender who has a broken wing or two and is young, single, attractive, and vulnerable. 
and dresses accordingly. She's trying to attract a mate, and that, that's her thing. And I'm talking to my sponsor about it, and um, he's a good sponsor. And uh, what he said to me in a lot more nicer, indirect, circling terms was, what makes you think you can have a relationship with a woman? And um, my relationship thing is, is broken, and that's exacerbated um, because I'm a sexaholic. And um, I'm also married, <laughs> so that's a little technical issue there. That's a problem. But, uh, you know, he basically said, you know, it's none of your business. And uh, my coworker in question, she and I collaborate to get the government to do good things, so the government does its thing. And um, she did a good job of facilitating a meeting. And I was going to email her or call her or approach her and say, good job. But that's none of my business. And uh, the title of the, me- the meeting is Recovery and Relationships with Coworkers. And uh, what I'm getting out of it is that, um, you know, like the person before me said, that a lot of my life happens at work. And uh, I'm going to have relationships there. And I'm not good at that. I, I struggle in that area with men and with women. And um, that I can bring my recovery in, in sneaky little ways into work and not break my anonymity, talk about drinking or sexual acting out or... Anything, but I can say it, it works when you work it. <laughs> and um, share things I've learned on my journey towards God that doesn't talk about addiction, but talks about success and, and what works. Um, so I'm glad to be here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Hello, I'm Pat. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, and uh, I'm a construction worker. Uh, my history has always been under earning. I have a college degree and was into alcoholism really heavy when I finished college. Worked construction all during my younger years and went straight back into that. Uh, and I'm still in it. It's a rough place to be sometimes. Uh, a lot of talk about sexual stuff. Uh, a lot of talk about drinking. But I've had other jobs too, and it's it's not that much different. Uh, but it it can get rough. Uh, a lot of a lot of active people, active drinkers, active sexaholics there. Um, I find for me. My character defects jump out pretty hard. I'm looking in the mirror, you know. I used to work for this particular company back in the 1980s. And I left there for almost 20 years and went to uh, went to a better job. Uh, lost that better job as a result of uh, thinking I could go back out there. I'd been in the SA program and then and then left in a relapse lost that job and ended up having to come back to this this one I'd been at 20 years ago. Um, my higher power was just with me all the way, and he's still with me now. As of today, I think uh, he wants me to be there. 
Uh, I've been trying to get away from this job for a long time, applying other places, many, many other places, and just nothing's, a few times it came close, but it just didn't work out. I think right now my higher power wants me to be here. Um, to get through a day, uh, some days are better than others, but I really have to use all the steps. Um, there's some really crazy behavior that goes on. Um, I just have to admit I'm powerless over it. My sponsor encourages me to just say, look, I know you don't watch TV anymore, but when you used to just pretend like you're watching a TV show when you see these guys doing this stuff. And don't don't get into it yourself. Just stay detached from it. And, you know, I do that the best I can. And that, that works for me. Um, I pray a lot. Uh, we're outdoors all the time. So it really helps being outdoors because part of my higher power is outdoors. When I see the sun coming up in the morning, I go through some prayer and meditation just uh, during that time and other times during the day. You know, I see birds or what have you. Sometimes we're out in the woods, so uh, higher power is just right there in my face, and that helps a lot, you know. I try to use the next right thing. Uh, we have a guy at work named Charlie, and he's always right on the money, so if I don't know what to do, I just start following him. I'll follow, If he goes to do something, I'll go where he is, and I'll do whatever he's doing. Uh, and I have to use that four-step prayer because, uh, you know, Lord, this is a this is a really sick person, just like I am. Please save me from being angry at him. Please show me how I can be helpful to him. So, uh, and I'll use the phone if something's really bugging me. I'll call somebody at lunchtime and and uh, tell them, talk to them about it. And I go to a meeting about every night so I can get this stuff out and I and I write it out every night or the next morning. Writing is incredibly helpful. If I put my feelings down on paper, it seems to really just kind of smooth everything out. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, the other steps. Uh, six and seven are tough. I'm still extremely judgmental and um, egotistical at times. Just a lot of fear goes on at times. Uh, you know, and I've had to make I've had to make a bunch of amends with this on this crew, but uh, God's guiding me. Um, I won't be here forever. When I get to the next job, there's going you know my head tells me everything will be better when I get to the next job, but you know I'm going to be there. <laughs> that's that's the plain and simple fact of it. So, um, but God is certainly guiding me and. Uh, you know, I'm really trying to to keep myself up around steps 10, 11, and 12 by doing the step work as much as I can because that's where the growth is. Uh, first time around in SA, I, I didn't grow. I was here, but I didn't grow. And uh, I, I know that this time I, I either have to grow or I'm going to go back out there again. And I... I don't, I kind of doubt I got another recovery in me, you know.
So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, Hi, everybody. I'm Neil. I'm a sexaholic. Um, One of my fears uh, when I came into recovery was that I was uh, very successful at what I did and was an addict. Now, I'm not going to kid myself and think that I could have continued, but the fact was I was very successful at what I did and was an addict. And one of the, um, you know, wonderful things about recovery is that I found I can be more successful at what I do um, and have recovery. So fears that came up for me is how do I have time in my day to do therapy? How do I have time in my day to go to a meeting? Um, how do I have time to, you know, I have to work late, so how do I go to these meetings? How do I make changes like um, boundaries to set of um, I'm in sales and so boundaries like I shouldn't have a meeting one-on-one with a woman unless I've talked to my wife about it or someone in the program. Um, how, do I, um, how do I say no? Um, it's uh, say no to uh, a company event, you know, say I, that's probably not a good place for me to be or go. Um, that's a real hard one, um, particularly when people suggest to you that you really ought to be there when I know for a fact that that's not good for me. Uh, from a recovery standpoint. And so, you know, what I also found is I can give up things. Um, I can work with people. I can share. I had tremendous fear about sharing. You know, I need to have it all. Um, And now I'm starting to partner with people where I'm in a job where that's not typical. Um, I can give credit to other people for success and not look at it just not be um, focused on just getting me getting the credit. I could acknowledge other people's efforts. And uh, and that feels really good uh, to feel a part. I mean, um, I was the type of person that would come in at 8 o'clock and if people were out there outside my office talking, I thought, you know, I would be angry as to why they're not working. That's how crazy I was. The reality was, you know, I spent a lot of my time not working, too, during my job, but nobody knew about that. Mm-hmm. So today, what I find in my job is, is better relations with people. Um, sometimes I have to set boundaries with people. I heard earlier about resentment. I'm, there are people that have resentments, and I have to try and stay away from that. Um, I have a pretty deep connection with my boss. We talk about things that most people don't talk about with their bosses. That I don't say I'm in recovery, but they're just topics that talk allow me to talk recovery, which feels really good. And um, the reality of it is today I work less. I spend more time with my family. I'm more available to my wife to, to support her and the things that she wants in her life, which for many years I wouldn't allow. Um, and uh, I'm more successful. Uh, in my business, I had my second best year out of 14 years last year. And, uh, you know, I really I, I give credit to God for that because uh, the reality is I have enough. I don't really need more. But yet he keeps giving me more in, in so many different places, including the work life. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. I'm Will, a grateful recovering sexaholic from, hey, Cleveland, from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I've been in the program for 18 years. I've been sober for eight years. And I started the job that I'm in 18 years ago. So that means my boss hired an addict. So that says something about my work environment, I think, you know, that he chose me. And um, I've been getting better, but um, the work situation is a little bit sick. He's he's pretty sick guy. A um, uh, lot of insecurity and um, 
So he has always done a lot of overworking, and that's what I learned to do too. So a lot of extra hours. We're the only department I work for a city. We're the only department that works overtime, and I uh, really don't get the resources. He doesn't really stick up for us. And the thing was, I was just grateful to have a boss that would, um, you know, like kind of take care of me. Uh, the person, and he hasn't done that great of a job, you know, in terms of getting the money and the resources for me. So like somebody spoke earlier, I've had to start speaking up for myself. And actually, um, it was sort of having some meltdowns at work that got me back into therapy after a period of not being in therapy. Uh, it was both having some rage, not at work, but rage in my life and also issues with coworkers that got me back. So I've found two great sessions already here at the conference that relate to both those topics. And um, what I didn't realize is, you know, I am a love cripple as well. I bring myself into the job. I am an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And so um, that leads to some issues at work. And... Um, I, I didn't realize how much I was seething with resentment, for example, at him not, you know, getting the resources. And, and what's happened is he retired once, he had a buyout, and they hired him back. But he's been a lot more relaxed since then, you know, and uh, he's not working the 60, 70 hour weeks. But the thing was, we don't have the staff to pick up the slack, and he's been taking a lot more vacation. So I've been asked to take on a lot of these responsibilities and things, and I really started resenting it, especially feeling like I'm not getting compensated for it. And But I never want to rock the boat. You know, the speaker at lunch uh, that talked about her family of origin and all the rules and everything, that just, I, <laughs> I could relate to every single one that she said. And one is, of course, don't take any risks. So you wouldn't speak up for your own needs. I'm just there to serve and, you know, be be invisible unless I'm needed, you know, and um, not make waves. And uh, I've had to start changing that because it doesn't help to carry around that resentment, obviously. And there were starting to be, like, cracks in my work persona, you know, because um, I just couldn't do that anymore. And um, it's been an interesting journey. And... Um, very grateful for this conference, and thanks for all, your, all of you listening. Thanks for Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Mike. I'm really grateful to be sober today and at this conference. Um, in regards to this topic, um, what struck me is that, uh, yeah, I mean, most of my day is, like, like all, most of us, uh, is spent at work, you know, and, and relating to these people. And I've noticed that when I start off my day with prayer meditation, um, some reading. I go to work and I, I do this weird thing. I, I show up on time or early. It's really cool when you do that um, because it stinks going to work late because when I just get out of bed, it's like, boom, I, I show up late. And as soon as I show up late, I resent like everybody, everybody from that whole day. So um, it's all about getting off on the right, the right foot for me. Um, so, you know, I've noticed too that with, I'm also an under earner at work, and I traditionally have been. You know, I, I play this chameleon game, or at least I, you know, historically have. Uh, I want to please everybody there. However, I also want people to bow down to me. You know, because don't you know that like I, you know, 
I have like the lowest job. You know, like, don't you know who I am? You know, it's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Like, I have this, you know, inferiority complex with a, you know, blasted out ego. So, um, I'm obviously a sick person. However, uh, recovery helps me tremendously to kind of level that out. You know, where I walk down the hallway and see a boss and like, hey, how you doing? I'm terrified of you. Take care. Have a good day. You know, uh, you know, th- these are my thoughts and, um, <laughs> The good news is, is that through recovery, I've been able to gravitate to more of the positive people. And um, and those people that are, are sick people, like somebody said, the, the fourth step prayer, um, this is a sick person, you know, and, uh, and and show me how I can be of use to this person. There's a girl in my office within, there's six people in the office, and um, I judge her that she talks too much, but that's my judgment. Okay. Uh, so what what's been pointed out to me is you need to start practicing acceptance and uh I've asked God you know God show me how to accept this person and it's wonderful you know and and when I work that when I work the steps at the workplace I have a much better shot of getting to that meeting in the evening a much better shot of then staying sober throughout the day and uh and possibly even being of use at work so uh, I'll just end with this. I've, I've noticed that, I mean, you know, being the chameleon, as I, I said before, um, I want everybody to think that I have my stuff together. You know, I, I was a, uh, I had a job and the, and the de- detective showed up at, at work, you know, and uh, I kind of like blew it all, you know, that chameleon stuff. Like people will figure out, this is one sick dude, you know. Mike, uh, there's two detectives here um, looking for you. I guess they know now. So, um you know, I can't hide it too well. Uh, it seems as though my higher power wants to bring me down and right-size me um, out of love, really. So um, I'm grateful to have a job. I'm grateful to have a job that I'm competent at, that I get paid okay at. Um, I'm grateful to have recovery because I can take that to work and, you know, be of service if, I, if I'm in the right mind. And if I don't wake up and work the program, I'm not in the right mind, and I don't. I'm not of use. When I do wake up and I do work the program, um, I can actually be of use to somewhere. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's it. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Hi, I'm Ed, recovering sexaholic. Hi, Ed. Uh, in listening to the shares uh, to this point, it suddenly occurred to me um, I'm the boss. <laughs> and in recovery, uh, what I've learned is that I'm a perfectionist. But never mind my imperfections. I'm concerned about yours. <laughs> so you know, my arrogance came through in in my acting out period, and I was known for that, and uh, um, and particularly for for doing things right. It had to be right. Um, and never mind that I wasn't doing things right. Uh, it's uh, so now in recovery. How is it that I handle uh, uh, those who I, I have to supervise? Um, sometimes well, sometimes not. Uh, and, and a lot of my shares in my home group have to do with uh, two particular employees. Um, one has gone. Thank God. And, and I learned about this that, that in, in, in a lot of my decisions can't be determinative. Sometimes I have to just wait. And things happen. Uh, the other one was just a little bit more pressing, a serious problem, uh, difficulties that have been there for almost a generation, and, and nobody has acted on them. Am I the one to act on them? I'm the sexaholic, and it's publicly known. So, you know, when, when, when I say something, there's always this little background, you know, 
is he the one to to criticize, you know, or to even make positive suggestions or whatever? Um, so, in my recovery, what I've learned to do is is to try to uh, use the group to to really get my feelings out, you know, and and they're very good at giving me feedback after the meeting about you know what's going on, what do I hear, you know, and that kind of thing. The other thing is, uh, as a previous share mentioned, is just simply to pray for these people, you know, and and uh, and to recognize that, um, you know, with some compassion that, you know, they need something that I've got, they don't have it yet. Uh, that so- might sound arrogant in itself, but from what I've been able to tell, it's good judgment, you know, and and uh, so I, I try to bring some compassion in, you know, and and patience. Um, and 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 the old um, there are some things I won't compromise on, uh, and and that's been made clear. So the boundaries are, are getting a little bit clearer, a little bit better. Uh, I also make use of of the institutional organs of co-responsibility. You know, you know, I I don't act in a vacuum, so I use others, and recovery has taught me that. And I don't mean use in a, you know, but I mean I share, you know, this is what I want accomplished. How do I do it? You know, so, so people around me can help me and so forth. So, um, uh, I, I just felt the need to share that this afternoon. And, uh, if, if you have any experience, strength and hope, I'd be happy to hear that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, <clears throat> I would like to thank the speaker and participants for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And then it says, let me summarize a few of the recovery ideas I have heard. Um, I'm David, grateful recovering sexaholic. When I was asked to uh, chair this meeting, I started to plan what I would share when I heard the topic, and then they said, no, you're chairing. He's the speaker and sharing, and uh, so I stopped rehearsing until I got and read this format and saw that I got to say the last word, and then I started rehearsing again and made some notes and stuff. But to summarize what I've heard, it was a real privilege to sit there and hear people working the 12 steps in their daily lives to uh, stay sober and to carry the message to others. With their life, you know, with their lives, and I kept thinking of the. Uh, I wish I had the twelve and twelve. The last half of the twelve and twelve. There's a really cool paragraph that blows me away whenever I read it, and some of the lines in there are, are uh, service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met. We are no longer uh, square pegs in. A, you feel like a square peg being trying to put in a round hole, and that's what I heard people coming up here and, and sharing that they're experiencing. For me, uh, my top plate with lust, when they said workplace, I think of a young woman who is, uh, for me with lust, I've given up TV, movies, I'm in that virgin, I've never seen a pornographic <laughs> image uh, on the computer because I got into recovery 12 and a half years ago, and I just keep strict boundaries with all that stuff. But for me, my drugs come, I mean, who needs the Internet when you have my memory, my imagination, uh, emotional affairs, all the M's, I say, masturbation, and... Uh, but when I think of that woman and then surrender, thinking about her, because scenario lust, you know, I'll see someone and then a scenario run, you know, we could have six kids, but she smokes, I'd have to get her to stop smoking. You know, I have to just stop. 
that's what I used to live in day after day. I would collect people during the day, images, and then act out at night. And the, But the truth is that I've been working at this place. After six months with no longer the drug of acting out, I had to change jobs and go to a job I wanted to do. And uh, But I've been working at the same place for 12 years, and that woman was 12 years old then, and she's 24 years old now, and I've been nothing but appropriate on the outside and, and have a healthy working relationship with her. And other women that I've worked with, I've seen them come and go. They come. I don't, I'm not inappropriate with them. They find a boyfriend or husband. They get married. They have kids. I see lives that I haven't destroyed by acting out my lust. And uh, so, you know, in the meantime, then, um, one night at Denny's, we go to Denny's after our Saturday night meeting, um, and one guy was talking, and he, he has a regular job, and it was a new job, and he said, his sponsor told him to stop trying to think, how can I get a better job, and think, how can I do my job better? And when he said that, it's just like, wow. I've always been thinking, you know, in the future I'll do this, I'll do that. And for today, how can I do my job better? That one just blew me away, and I've been try- trying to meditate on that each day. You know, what? Uh, like that woman speaker said, you know, uh, how can I add to the beauty uh, and participate and practice these principles all in my affairs. So that's how Dave sees it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about in essay to yourself and what we say here, let it stay here. Here, here. Very good. You don't even have the format. After a moment of silence for the sick and suffering inside and outside these rooms, let us close with a third step prayer.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.